Welcome to Torah Imecha with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Hannah Ringel, and today we'll be studying Sefer Tzafania, Perak Gimel, Chapter 3. We concluded Perak Bet with the Navi warning the people of Yehuda of the destruction of the great city of Nineveh, capital of the mighty Assyrian Empire, amongst their other neighbors, in hopes that Jerusalem would take heart and be inspired to repent from the warnings of the awesome Yom Hashem that is approaching. Perkimel chapter 3 opens with the Navi turning to another city, our city, Yerushalayim, with rebuke to the city for not having heeded the warnings and failing to have learned the lessons. There's an attack on both the religious and moral deterioration of society, with blame placed on the corrupt nature of political and religious leaders. Those responsible for setting the tone and leading the people have failed, and accountability will start at the top. At the end of Parak Aleph, we heard the description of the shrieks and wailings come from the, coming from the various areas of Yerushalayim, Sha'ar Hadagim and the Kva'ot, as if the city herself would be crying out in pain over her destruction. And here again, we see the personification of Yerushalayim. She is sullied with sin and polluted with injustice. The opening Pasuk already has two indications of contrast within words in what could be and what is. The word Vinig Allah brings an image of Giul, repulsive, and at the same time, Ga'al, the city that was and will be redeemed. She is called Ir Hayonah, loyal like a dove, that she will return to Hashem, or like a dove without a heart, according to Rashi. And some others find the root Ona'ah, oppression, a city filled with oppression. Lo sham'ah bakol, lo lakcha musar, ba'ashem lo batcha elokeha, lo kareva. She has not listened to the prophets and has taken Musr, not taken Musr. In God, she has not trusted to save her. And to her God, she has not come close. And who is responsible for this? The Navi then continues to condemn four types of leaders with quite harsh images. In verse 3, Sareha Bikirba Arayot. First, we have the officers, the political elite, who are compared to vicious lions who roar over their prey, intimidated the masses, intimidating the masses publicly, destroying the moral rubric of society instead of protecting them. The second group are the judges, the legal system is compared to evening wolves going out when they are ravenous and more discreet than the lions. They prey in the night, taking bribes, corrupting justice. In verse four, we have the third group, her, nev- her prophets, her Nevi'im, referring to the false prophets who are assuring the people that all is fine. They don't need to change their behavior. They are reckless and faithless, lacking true messages and leading the people down the wrong path. Finally, the fourth group, Kohaneha Chilulu Kodesh Chamsu Torah. Her Kohanim, the priests, who are charged with representing the people in the holy service and charged with teaching and inspiring the nation to a life of Torah. They have desecrated the Kodesh. The exact terminology, Chililu Kodesh, that we find here, we find in the book of Ayikra, chapter 22, where the verse warns the Kohanim, Lo yichalilu et b'nei Israel, do not desecrate the Kodesh that the people bring to you and through you. And not only have they brought corruption into the temple, but instead of inspiring and teaching the nation Torah, they are inciting the opposite with a disdain for Torah, chamsu Torah, and perverse teachings. So far from where we need to be. And in contrast to God, who the Navi then tells us, Hashem, 
Tzadik bekirba loya avla. God is righteous and in our midst, and he does no wrong. Precisely because Hashem Shechina rests in our midst, in the Beit HaMikdash especially, and in Yerushalayim, and is the core of tzedek, of justice and righteousness, its presence will not coexist with the corruption and the iniquity. At first, this seems reassuring, but justice in this case is actually punishing the sinner and eradicating the evil. And so the Navi continues in verse 6 with four terms for destruction and one Pasuk. God has wiped out the nations. Their towers are desolate. Hashem is destroyed, laid ruin, describing desolation and the punishment that has befallen some of the surrounding nations. Be it having witnessed the cruel campaign of Nebuchadnezzar that has started to and will continue to spread through the region during that time, or later in history, actually it hasn't just started yet at the beginning, but it's about to start, or later in history, we will have emerged from exile to have a second base Hamikdash, as the Abarbanel explains this section to mean a later time in history, and have seen the fall of so many other empires and nations. Of course Yehuda would learn from this. Of course we would do tshuva, so that Hashem would not have to bring further punishment. It seems in verse 7 that perhaps we could even avert the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. Her dwelling place will not be cut off. But that did not happen, and corruption continued. And the sinners know no shame. Again, the theme of the lack of shame and humility, being impediments for tshuva. And now the Navi warns, can almost just hear it. So now just wait for me, Hashem says, for the day that I will come and bear testimony or accuse. And Hashem's wrath will be poured out onto the world to an even stronger degree than has yet been described. Suddenly, however, in verse 9, hand in hand with Hashem explaining that he will gather the nations and pour out his wrath that will consume the world, there seems to be an about face. And we find a warming description of the entire world worshiping Hashem. Most commentaries take this to refer to a future element of Yom Hashem, where the great revelation of Hashem will eradicate evil and bring truth to light. The Midrash in Yalkut Shimoni finds this pivot in the Pesukim to a positive place earlier in the words Chikuli, when Hashem will come Lahaid. The Midrash says, Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Shvu'ah Shakomi Shechakei it is a promise or a swear. Hashem says, I swear before, before you that everyone who has waited for my kingdom, I myself will testify for that person, for good. As it says, therefore wait for me, says Hashem, for the day that I will come to bear witness. These are the people who mourned for Zion, who developed a humility, suffered or heard their embarrassments, were quiet, and did not take credit for themselves. In essence, this is Klal Yisrael, who have suffered through Gullus, yearned for the days of yore, and have made space for Geula. Verse 9 is just beautiful. For then, God says, I, he himself, will hafich, will switch, turn, or purify the nations to have safabrua, clear speech, 
to call all together in the name of Hashem and to serve him with one accord. Hashem will transform their language to a safa brura, a clear speech, in order to call in the name of Hashem. Some explain this as pure speech, others as one devoid of references to Avodah focused on the service of Hashem. Many claim this to be Lashon HaKodesh, the original language, and the one that houses the correct pronunciation and expression of God's names. The Radak, with others, explain this to be a time in the future related to the period of Gog Magog and the futuristic day of revelation and truth. Abar Benel sees this as a result of a final struggle between the children of Esav and the children of Yishmael that will take place in the region of Israel, but not directly involve Bnei Israel. Living in the 15th century, he tells the reader that it may be difficult to perceive as this will be in the far future, but it certainly seems plausible from our vantage point in history. Altogether in unison, they will call on the name of Hashem and serve him with one accord, citing the word Shechem, the shoulder, the part of the body that bears responsibility. What type of responsibility of Avodat Hashem will the nations take upon themselves remains unclear. But this Pasuk does take us back to early in Bereshit, when the world did speak one language, the language of God in a sense, until the people decided to build the Tower of Babel and God responded by diversifying their languages or mixing them up, which led to the scattering of nations. Different worlds, different people, different cultures, different lifestyles, arguments, war. This verse seems to bring us back to the time before the world divided into so many factions and lost their common language. It will be returned, God says, and it rings of the verse in Zechariah in chapter 14, And on that day, the unity of God will be recognized in unison, and the oneness of God will be declared with uniformity. This implies not only a common language, but a common mission and a peace that has long not been seen. This ultimate Yom Hashem is not simply one of wrath and destruction, and we now begin the final section of the Sefer. The last ten psukim, about ten psukim, in which the prophecy is one of comfort, joy, redemption, and reunification for the Jewish people. The prophet tells us that we will not be embarrassed of the sins we have done. The arrogance will be removed and we will function in a different matter. manner. We will be able to do what's right. The Mabim explains that we will shift the shift in the surrounding nations and their relationships to us. We will no longer be under their influence or subjugation. The remaining people will be comprised of the poor, the humble, and they will depend on Hashem. Those who remain won't act with injustice. And here too, the Navi comments on the nature of their speech. Deceit and lies will not be found in their speech. It will be a time of truth, of righteousness, of justice, as, as expressed in the most basic form, in the way that we speak, something to think about. Their behavior is the opposite of what the Navi critiqued Yehuda for early in the Sefer. And in verse 14, the people who were just told to cry and to wail are now being directed, Rani Batzion, sing, O daughter of Zion. Yerushalayim and the people of Israel are told to sing, to shout and joy with joy and rejoice with happiness. The Abarpanel, continuing on his theme of this referring to the final battle between Ishmael and Asaph, explains that with the resolution, Yerushalayim will remain in the hands of Bnei Israel after generations of battling by both other nations to try and control it, Bnei Ishmael and Bnei Asaph. And by Yom Hahu, on that day, they will turn to Yerushalayim and they will say, as the Pasuk says, Al-Tira'i, don't be afraid anymore. 
God, who has been the executioner of judgment, will now erase their judgment and turn away their enemies and dwell amongst us. It's not really them, it's us. Not as a judge, but as our protector. And there will be no reason to fear. Thus far, the security and the simcha are intensifying. We will be happy because we will be protected from sin and punishment. And then we will see our enemies unable to hurt us. And finally, the psukim continue to the ultimate joy in being reunited, in a sense, with Hashem. The highest joy will actually come from the relationship itself. Hashem alokayach bekerbeich. Hashem, your God, is in your midst. Gibor Yoshia, a warrior who brings triumph. Yasis alayich. He will rejoice over you. Besimcha, in joy. Yacharish abavato. He will soothe his love. Rashi explains this to mean by silencing our sins or our shortcomings. And Ebenezer explaining that there will be no reminders of our past sins. Yagil alayach berina. He will will rejoice over us in joy. The Malbin often sharing insights into words that may seem to be similar in translation but have different angles to them. Explains sason as external expression of joy and simcha and gila as inner joy. With simcha being something constant and Gila representing something that is renewed or a new feeling. We are rejoicing in Malchut Hashem, and God is rejoicing in our redemption. And anyone who is struggling at this time, or finds themselves at a loss, perhaps for not having kept the mitzvot like Shabbat and the holidays appropriately, as some commentaries connect this to the Pasuk, will be taken in and cared for by God himself. In the final two psukim, Hashem addresses first the individuals who may have felt ashamed, and I will save those, it's actually in the Lashon Yachid, in the individual, those who are lame and gather the one, the one who is driven away, the one who is lame and the one who is driven away. I will give them praise and honor whose shame to those whose shame has been in all the earth. The Tzolei'a and Nidacha are both written, as I mentioned, in Lashon Yachid, in individual language, as one. As when there is suffering, or there is a serious injury, or there is one who feels driven away from family, from community, from God. Each individual is suffering in a unique and lonely way. And God says he will heal that pain for that specific person, because sometimes that pain is something that only that person feels in a world alone by themselves. That is for the individuals and which nation has, that is for the individuals. God then continues to the nation that has suffered shame and berating time and time again through history. If not for B'nai Israel, to whom the Navi concludes and promises, at this time I will bring you, and at that time I will gather you, for I will honor you and praise you among the peoples of the earth when I bring back your captivities before your eyes, says Hashem. We will be gathered from the diaspora and restored to our status in Yerushalayim. We will witness this process, just as we were told we would witness the punishments. Shvutechem, this can mean either being restored to our previous status or the plural of the words captivities, as our many captivities, captivities will be returned. The parak opens with a harsh criticism of religious and moral deterioration and corruption and prophecies about the judgment that will be brought on Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah, as well as on the nations of the world, who will indeed repent and recognize God. 
we too will ascend to a higher level, correcting the arrogance, the corruption, and reuniting with God as our king in joy and peace. It seems as we conclude Sefer Tzvanya that Yom Hashem may not simply be one day, past or future, rather an experience of revelation of God's presence with a power and clarity that destroys evil, evil and enables truth and light. While many of the prophecies we have learned thus far in the Nach have indeed already come true, with the 10 tribes being lost and the Beit HaMikdash first and second being destroyed, we are the diaspora Jews that Tzvanya is speaking to in these words. We live in a world where we struggle to hear the voice of truth and God and where there are voices trying to drown us with shame. As Stefania reminds us, humility and justice, connecting to and feeling the divine presence are certainly steps to, if not sparks of, the geula, the redemption, as we prepare ourselves for the time when Hashem will gather us and which will in Mirza Hashem be speedily in our days. Thank you so much for studying together. Le'iloi nishmat Riva Schwab. Rivka Bat Alexander.